If you take your Bibles and go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. If you're visiting with us, you can pull that black Bible out in the chair in front of you. Go towards the back of that and go to page 67. Luke 22, I'm going to start verse 54 and then we'll go to the end of the chapter 22. And and like Travis was telling you earlier as you're turning there, uh, not next week, it's the 18th, the week after that, 25th, we're going to do Luke 23, 32 through 56. It's like, well, that's the death of Jesus, so we're going to have the Lord's Supper the next week? Well, that's kind of weird. Let's just do it that week that we're, 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 we're preaching through the death of Christ. Let's have the Lord's Supper then. It makes sense to me. So we'll do that on the 25th of this month as we look at that last portion of Luke. So again, as I said, Luke 22, we'll start reading verse 54 to 71. Again, that black Bible, page 67. And having arrested him, they led him away, brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. And after they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. He denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after about an hour had passed, another began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, a cock crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. How he had told them before a cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. 63. And the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him and beating him. They blindfolded him, were asking him, saying, Prophesy who's the one who hits you. And they were saying many other things against him, blaspheming. When it was day, the council of elders of the people assembled both chief priests and scribes, And they led him away to their council, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. If I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. And they said, What further need do we have of testimony? For we have heard it ourselves. His own mouth. Probably heard about this past Wednesday three masked, black clad men with assault rifles. They stormed the offices of Charlie, I think I'm saying this right, Hebdo, a satirical French magazine. They killed eight journalists two police officers, a maintenance worker, and a visitor. Eleven people were wounded, four of them seriously wounded. 
Did you also hear or read about the public flogging in Saudi Arabia? The public flogging of a liberal blogger and activist in Saudi Arabia. He was accused of insulting Islam. Raif Badawi. He was sentenced to 1,000 lashes. He received the first round of 50 in a public flogging after this past Friday's prayers. And it will continue every Friday for the next 20 weeks. Craig and I were talking about this on Friday. They're, they're actually trained to not break skin. Well, that's convenient. I'm glad for that. The scary part is how they train them to do that. Now, do I think that um, a magazine like Charlie Hebdo should be doing things like that? Should be uh, bringing this satire about political figures and religious figures? Not necessarily, not exactly. Why unnecessarily offend people like that? You could come across disrespectful and demeaning to others. Yet, having said that, in Islam, especially in Islam, and the other religions of the world too, if people mock, deny, or express hate for that particular religion, or for those who believe it, those who follow it are encouraged from its teachings and its leaders to hurt and punish those people. Case in point, this past week, Not so with true biblical Christianity, though. Those who deny, those who mock, those who hate us or hate Christ, they're actually welcomed, aren't they? As a matter of fact, they're welcomed with open arms. This is what distinguishes us from them distinguishes Christianity from all the other religions of the world God says come follow my son find forgiveness of your sins for what sins? you denied him you mocked him you hated him and yet he will forgive you as you read this passage you can practically put yourself in this situation friends we can put ourselves as the ones who denied Jesus, as the ones who mocked Jesus, as the one who hated Jesus to reject Him and wanted to condemn Him to death. That's us. And yet Jesus welcomes people like us, doesn't He? Deniers, mockers, haters. Find forgiveness of your sins. For denying Him, for mocking Him, for hating Him. A disciple, chief disciple denied Jesus. Soldiers arrogantly mocked Him. A religious council hated Him, condemned Him to death. All of these are worthy of condemnation. But Jesus was going to the cross for people like them. Deniers. Mockers, haters. This is why Jesus had to die, man. It's people 
like us. You and me. Because what does Paul say in Romans chapter 5? For while we were yet still really good people, no, no, that's, that's not even in the jive version. For while we were still kind of really good people, no, that's not there either. For while we were yet, what? Sinners. Rebels. For while we were yet deniers. For while we were yet mocking Him. For while you were hating Him, Christ died for us. This is for people like us. Like you. Me. Outcasts. Losers. Sinners. Rebels. Lawbreakers. And then, and, and then this, is, this is the crazy part too. Even more crazy. And we call other rebels to come to Jesus to find grace and mercy. Instead of a denier, we come to confess Him. Instead of one who mocks Him, we embrace Him. Instead of a hater, we, can, we, we come to love Jesus. And that's what God does. He changes us. Isn't that great? And then we call other deniers, come and confess Him. Come and embrace Him. Come and love Him. That's what we do. That's why people think we're crazy. Because the world says, go kill them. The world says, go destroy them. The world says, you should inflict punishment and pain upon them. We say, oh, we welcome them with open arms. What? Are you crazy? Yeah. Because we follow a crazy savior. <laughs> right? And, and these verses, they, they show us the craziness of Jesus. They show us who He really is. He truly was. He is God's great servant, the Messiah. And the events display this. I mean, He predicted Peter's denials. He predicted the soldiers mocking Him. And He truly resurrected and sits at God's right hand. He is who He says He is. And that's the irony. The one who said He would die for Jesus denied he knew him. Soldiers mocked Jesus, showing their rejection of him. And those who think they're condemning Jesus, they're actually going to be condemned themselves by the one whom they hate, unless they repent. Jesus confessed his supreme authority as Son of Man and Christ over those who wielded their puny authority at his trial. It's Jesus, the righteous Son of Man, Son of God, Messiah, He will end up suffering on behalf of sinners, all of it according to God's plan for Him. It was all planned. It was meant for Him to do. He was driving all the events that led to His death. He would be condemned by the Sanhedrin for claiming to be the Son of God, God's equal, sitting right next to Him. And then later we're going to see how he was condemned by the Romans for claiming to be king. We'll see that next week. Just as a side note, some people might have the question, how did Luke obtain this information if the disciples had deserted Jesus? Especially the info about his trial. 
How did, how, how did they get this info? Well, the proceedings of the trial would have been circulated by the Jews to justify their execution of Jesus. Plus, other people would have attended the trial. So, very easy to answer that type of question, even though the disciples were gone. But as we come to this section of Luke, I want to encourage you, be encouraged. Although those who follow God's way will suffer in this life, just like Jesus did, they will deny you, they will hate you, they will reject you and mock you. We will be vindicated by God because we follow His eternal Son. We've turned from sin and believed in Jesus. God is in, bus- is in the business of saving, changing, and vindicating rebels. He will vindicate you, Christian. The world might think you're crazy because you reach out to them and you reach out to others who will openly deny and mock and hate you and kill you. And we welcome them. You will be vindicated. Because Jesus was. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. So let's go through. Obviously, hopefully you've seen the three main points. Deniers, mockers, haters. Forgiveness of sins first for denying Him. There's the first sin, 54 to 62. After that whole fiasco in the garden, they arrested Jesus. They led Him away, verse 54, and brought Him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. You read from John that they took Him first to Annas, then to Caiaphas. Eventually Jesus had to go before the Sanhedrin their counsel to obtain a verdict which we'll see in just a moment so they can bring him before the Romans but Peter trailed behind why? maybe out of fear, curiosity to stick with him to be at his side but it was a setup for Peter's failure and see this is a, this is a big deal because the four gospels of the New Testament they're full of Peter No disciple spoke as often as Peter did. And our Lord addressed him more than any other disciple. And no disciple was rebuked by Jesus as much as Peter was. Or as strongly as Peter was. And nobody had the guts to actually rebuke Jesus except for Peter. I don't know if I want to be known to have done that, but it is what it is. Plus, no other disciple was as bold to directly confess who Jesus was. And keep in mind, there was no other disciple who walked on water. No other disciple, except maybe John, was present during Jesus' arrest. And unfortunately, no other disciple denied Jesus like Peter did. One writer said this about Peter, quote, Sometimes he only opened his mouth to change feet. And at other times, his words were immortal. This night would be the most memorable, memorable night for him. The most instructive night of his life. 55. And after he had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, this man was with him too. So the ones who arrested Jesus, they're, they're the ones who are holding Jesus. To get warm, they kindled the fire. And Peter sat among them. Well, that's weird. 
Was he trying to hide? We're going to see if his commitment to Jesus holds out. And notice, one writer puts it like this, the menacing intimidator, the slave girl. You know, it thinks be some soldier, are you with him? It's some little slave girl, hey, he was with him too. And, and it says, looking intently, actually it means she was staring at him. This one was also with him too. And notice, it says, he denied it, verse 57, saying, woman, I did not know him. He denied it, I don't know him. I don't have no knowledge of Jesus at all. He phrased it like one of the Jewish ban formulas. So it's a strong denial to know Jesus. Have any knowledge of Him. 58, the second denial. And a little later another saw Him and said, You're one of them too. The girl persisted and now others started to join in with her. And so this one says, You're one of them too. That is, you're one of His disciples too. So he's pointing out, that He's one of Jesus' disciples. Well, the... And Peter not only denied his association with Jesus, but also serving with the other disciples. I'm, I'm not one of those pesky disciples. Me? No. Pressure was mounting. And Peter was crumbling. Isn't it interesting how it's in the heat of the moment when our true colors come out, when life doesn't go the way you want it to go, when things go wrong, your heart comes out. Don't you just hate that? Because the, the facade goes away. And then who you really are just comes out. Peter said, man, I am not one of those disciples. 59. And after about an hour had passed, time doesn't really change anything here. Another man began to insist, insist intently. He insists on Peter being a disciple because what gave him away was his dress or, or maybe his accent. Uh, certainly he was with him, for he's a Galilean. I mean, why else would a Galilean be here this late evening during this trial in front of the fire? Peter's in danger of being exposed. Instead of acting like the rock that he was called, he chickened out, like probably many of us would. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. He claimed he didn't even know what this guy was saying. He yielded to temptation. Remember Jesus warned him? He warned him, Pray that you will not enter into temptation. Look, you just have the wrong guy. Or, or uh, I can't understand why you insist on this connection of me to this man. I don't know what you're talking about. And notice what Luke puts here. And immediately, while he was still speaking, a cock crowed. So chapter 22, verse 34, was fulfilled. For his life, Peter yielded to temptation and denied his Lord and Master.
And then something happens. Something happens that you only see in Luke. You don't see it in the other Gospels. 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. The Lord turning looked intently at Peter. Now, we're not told where Jesus was or, or how he was able to see Peter, but for a moment they locked eyes. And, and actually the verb means he fixed his gaze on Peter. Can you imagine that? And Peter went, oh, oh no. And he remembered. Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he told him, before a cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he melted. He locked eyes. Peter remembers. And then the prediction came true. Exactly. All the disciples are gone. Peter was with him. He was the only one with him. And now he denied him. He did not even knew him. Now Jesus was all alone. No one stood with Jesus. Then Peter was crushed, was broken, flattened, ruined, shattered, defeated, dejected, without hope. He had instant remorse for those three denials. His spirit was totally devastated, and he went out and wept bitterly. He failed. He succumbed. His spirit was dejected. Peter was faithless. Wasn't he? But praise God that our God remains faithful. In times of testing, you will fail. You should have said this or that. You should not have done this or that. Yet as Jesus granted Peter repentance and restoration, so he does for us. That's why he welcomes those who are deniers with, with open arms. You are a failure. The sooner you admit that, the better. You should understand, you, have a, you should have a growing awareness of your sin as we've been le learning in the adult class, a growing awareness of God's holiness, a growing awareness of your inadequacy. You should have that. And should we weep bitterly? Yes. Should we be broken? Yes. Should we confess that we failed? Yes. But know that that very failure was why Jesus had to die for you. He will be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The justice was put on Jesus. That very failure that Jesus did, that's why Jesus had to die. That very failure that you did, Christian, that's why Jesus had to die. It's put on Him, not on you. If you confess, I... Here I am. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Look, God's grace, God's grace doesn't give us a license to sin. But it gives us the desire to live as He wants us to live. The enablement, power, and motivation to live as He wants us to live. And the confidence when we fail miserably in the way that He wants us to live. The confidence is in Christ. It's not, it's not in your good deeds. It's in the good deeds of Jesus. His merit. His righteousness. Not yours. That's embedded in the gospel. Don't lose sight of that. That's why we sing that song, right? My hope is built on nothing less than my good works, my righteousness. No. Then Jesus' blood and His righteousness. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It's on Him. It's on Him that we find that. It's on Him that we cling to Christ. We look to Jesus, not to ourselves. And, and, what a huge lesson on humility. Take heed lest you fall. No, that was Peter. What an idiot. I wouldn't do that. Take heed lest you fall. May this failure from the prominent apostle encourage us to remain faithful and also to realize that we could, we would do it too. And without God's grace, we would deny Christ to serve our own interests. Praise God for His grace. God's in the business of forgiving those that deny Him and for those who mock Him as well. For mocking Him, 63 to 65. The men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking Him and beating Him. It shifts back to Jesus abruptly. Probably these were the temple guard soldiers who knew Jesus. They probably heard Him teaching. They probably knew who He claimed Himself to be. And notice his cussing had two parts. They mocked him, and as they were mocking him, they were beating him up. And as they began mocking Jesus, they started beating him. It gives us a good glimpse of what people do, or would do, if or when they reject Jesus. It's a picture of the world's hateful rejection of him. This is what this is. And then they would play this game, they would blindfold him, or ask him, saying, prophesy, who's the one who hits you? They mocked Jesus' prophetic gift, punching him while he was blindfolded. And trying to find out, oh, see who's the one who actually punched you now. A sick, abusive game. And the irony, though, is the fact that they mocked him, it shows that his prophetic claim was indeed true, because he actually prophesied that they would mock him. Oh, that's kind of ironic. You know, Luke's gospel is so full of irony. So yeah, yeah, he, he already did. I already said, I already knew you were going to do that. Because I, I said that a few months ago, actually. Thanks. You can continue to hit me now. Go ahead. Not to mention Peter's denials. There's another place where Jesus' words came true. He was truly indeed a prophet. 
Look, there is no in-between with Jesus. One either embraces Jesus or mocks Him. A non-decision is a rejecting one. You must decide if you will follow Jesus or reject Him. Praise God, He will give you grace. He'll give grace to you if you have been mocking Jesus. He will save you. If you're here today, you're not a follower of Jesus. Listen to what I'm saying to you. You can find forgiveness and mercy for having denied Him, for having mocked Him. He will save you. He'll be merciful to you. He will not face His judgment. I mean, isn't, isn't God's love and grace for those who mock Jesus amazing? He calls people who mock Him, ridicule Him, scorn, scoff at, and, and deride Him to come to Him and find forgiveness of their sins. And that should be the way we respond to people who do that to us. In the world, they respond differently. They, they lash out. That's what they're taught in Islam. You lash out. You're not supposed to make fun of this. When people make fun of us, we should say, oh, yeah, come on, welcome. We should welcome them. We should show them mercy and compassion the way Jesus has done that for us. Should we not do that? Should we not respond that way? God's love and grace is amazing. Because for people who mocked Him, who ridiculed Him and scorned Him, He says, come to me, you'll find forgiveness of sins. So again, if you're here today, you don't know Christ, you're not a follower of Jesus, that's for you to listen to. Hear what I'm saying. You should face God's judgment. God should condemn you because you are a rebellious sinner. But He sent Jesus who lived, died, and rose for sinners, for those that turn away from their sin and put all their trust in Jesus. You can be saved. He's in the business of saving those who deny Him, those who mock Him, and last, for those who hate Him, for hating Him. 66 to 71... It seems that this trial which happened at daytime, when it was day, the council of elders of the people assembled, both chief priests and scribes. This took place early in the morning. This is most likely a second part of a two-part meeting. At this council, the Sanhedrin would officially declare their guilty verdict of Jesus. There was, there was no witnesses. It was just an official ruling. So there's most likely two night meetings, one with Annas, one with Caiaphas. And then there's another official meeting whereby the council declared Jesus to be guilty so they can be ready to bring him to the Romans. And they had to come to the Romans early in the morning. So they had to get this done fast because it was the only time that the Romans heard cases. And if they waited... This is why everything was moving so fast. See, if they waited, Jesus could have been held for days because the next day was Sabbath. And then it was, uh, they were having Passover, so then it was, they were, they were celebrating the feast. So like, I mean, he could be held for quite a number of days. They didn't want that. They, they didn't want Jesus to be held for that long. Plus, it's going to be risky. 
Remember, the, the, the crowds were for Jesus. And if they found out, oh, they did some night thing and the blah, 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 people are going to be like, hey, what's going on with this? They would find out this is kind of squirrely type stuff. So that would be risky. So they need to seize this opportunity or to get rid of Jesus real fast. Now on the flip side, as I was saying before just a moment ago, it was squirrely for them to be doing these night trials. It wasn't lawful to conduct a night trial. Uh-uh. That was a no-no. It was unlawful to, to give a verdict at a night trial too. So that's why they, they rushed Jesus through these different examinations and they're... Early in the morning, they called everyone together. Oh man, I gotta get out of bed for this thing. Some of the council members probably coming over here. Okay, what? Oh yeah. Susanna, you would have made a really bad Sanhedrin person. That would be really bad. It's like, you know, like 5.30 in the morning. Oh my goodness. So this is what's happening. This is going on. And yet, keep in mind, the Father and the Eternal Son, they were orchestrating all things so that Jesus would end up dying as the Passover lambs were being slain. It's, it's all in God's plan. Oh, and by the way, there's more irony. Jesus, the one who reigns over heaven and earth, would be condemned to death by the Sanhedrin, a group consisting of elders, of the people, chief priests chief priest and scribes, he was going to be condemned by them? Hmm. That's ironic. So this is a kangaroo court. And notice, you're going to see the three divine titles of Jesus being mentioned. Christ, Son of God, excuse me, Christ, Son of Man, Son of God. So they started in here. Verse 66, they led him away to their council, saying, verse 67, If you, the Christ, tell us. Move right into the question of Jesus. Why this question? Because they wanted Jesus to get in trouble with Rome. They wanted him to declare himself to be some political leader. See, they wanted Jesus to incriminate himself by his answer. Remember, calling Jesus Messiah, or anybody Messiah for that matter, was confessing that he was the one to rule because Messiah is a royal title, political figure. Romans didn't like that. Shame, shame. They're going to kill you. It's about Jesus having the authority as the one whom God has sent, His servant, His Messiah. So that's why they asked this question. But He said to them, notice what Jesus says, end of 67, 68. But He said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. Jesus used what's called a third-class conditional sentence to respond. What does that mean? I'll put it up on the screen for you. If I reply, and I'm not currently saying that I will or will not, you will not believe. In other words, he refused to answer them. Why? Well, why should he answer them? What's the point? It was useless. They already made up their minds. You know, are, are, you, really, are you really the Messiah? Are they really asking like that? <laughs> no. They weren't asking because they really wanted to know. What's the point? This was not a fair hearing trial. This was not trying to find out justice, find, find out what's the truth. They didn't care about that. They wanted to formalize what they already decided. So they weren't asking, oh, we really want to know. They want to condemn him. 
Plus, if he raised a question about his authority, notice he says, they wouldn't answer him either. So he, first he says, if I tell you, you're not going to believe. If I tell you, why, why should I say it? You're not even going to believe. And then he says, if I ask you a question, you're not going to even answer me. Case in point, I asked you guys about John the Baptist. You guys didn't say anything. Well, we don't know where it came from. So what's the point of me talking to you? Do you know something? Jesus was not being interrogated. He's interrogating them. He was on the offensive, raising the question of justice. He knew their motives. He knew what they were trying to do. I'm not a moron. I know what you guys are trying to do. He saw right through their intentions. He could read every single one of their hearts. Ah. But then he gives them more than what they bargained for. 69. From now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Now, there's a lot of stuff involved in that. When he made this statement, though, first we want to point out something. It looked like he was being the subject of their judgment, but in contrast, they were being judged by him. They would be judged by him. Just him making this very statement. And he used the phrase, Son of Man. Jesus loved to use that about himself. First they asked if he was the Messiah, and then he uses this phrase, Son of Man, which is talking about himself, from Psalm 110, from Daniel chapter 7. Psalm 110, Daniel chapter 7, putting those together, he's showing, I'm going to ascend to God's right hand as a mediatorial vice-regent. From this time, in my appearance, before you in this council, I'm going to be exalted as the one who sits at God's right hand. Whoa. See, to them he was just some guy uh, standing before the council. No, Jesus says, I'm going to sit at God's right side, which is a figure for rule. See, in essence, Jesus was answering their question about being Messiah. I'm going to be seen at God's right side ruling. He answered the question about Messiah, then he gave them some more. See, you got to understand, to Jews in the first century, even angels were needed to mediate between God and humans. The humans could they think humans could just come into God's presence. They didn't think that. They even thought angels should do that. So here Jesus was claiming to be the mediator between God and humans. That's a big deal. It was a statement that would damn him. It would condemn him. In other words, what would eventually condemn Jesus was his claim that he would sit at God's right hand. That's what would condemn him. Why? Because he, he was saying he had the highest place of honor... And he's resting there. It's not just a higher place of honor. It's a higher place of honor. And I'm resting there. See, one could just, couldn't just come into God's presence and sit down. How are you doing? You couldn't do that. Now, I know people think you can do that today. But in the first century, 
you couldn't do that without some type of purification or some type of worship. I mean, to not have that would be an insult to God and His uniqueness. You, you had to do something. Not to mention, God is the one who sits. Anyone else sitting, that would be insulting to His greatness. You don't sit. A person may stand before God, but to sit with Him? They knew what He was saying. That was unheard of. So when Jesus said that the Son of Man, his favorite title, expressing both his mortality and his heavenly existence, Son of Man, he's going to sit at God's right side. He was profaning God's person as far as they were concerned. He's blaspheming. He should die. And even more, if he was able to take God's seat then this has ginormous implications. One of which is, he will be judge. So, not only am I resting and sitting, right next to the Father, I'm also going to be judge. And I'm going to judge you. You little puny people with your little authority type thing. You little Sanhedrin thingamabobber. Sanhedrin people. I'm going to judge you. So back to what I said earlier, the religious leaders thought Jesus was in trial, but, but on the contrary, he's the true judge. He's trying them. So what you do to me doesn't matter. It's already been planned, man. In this statement from Jesus, he was showing how truly exalted he was. I am the Son of Man, whether you little puny, Sanhedrin people things believe it or not. In essence, Jesus was saying, I am the judge, and you really have no authority to judge me. <laughs> and this statement would seal his fate, because as far as they were concerned, he was profaning God by claiming to be able to sit at his right hand? What? What? And yet, what would prove this otherwise when he did what? Resurrected from the dead. See, the Father, the Father would resurrect Jesus from the dead, vindicating His eternal Son who had completed the work set out for Him to do. And He would be exalted to that high place of authority. And see, this is good news. It's good news because our Lord and Savior is at the Father's right hand interceding for us. And it's good news because the same with us, friends. As Jesus... As Jesus' disciples, though, we suffer in this life. Though we're hated by others because of Jesus, God will vindicate us because we've chosen to follow His eternal Son. We've repented. We've trusted in Jesus. God has saved us. And He will vindicate us. You don't have to do judgment or punishment upon those who deny or mock you or hate you. You don't have to do that. It's all in His hands. You let God do that. You just welcome them with open arms. We will be different from those of Islam. We will be different from those of other religions in this world, won't we? Let us be different from them. Come and mock all you want. Come with your satire all you want. Go ahead. We will welcome you. And we will say, God will forgive sinners like you, just like He forgave me.
the religious leaders. Wait, 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 wait. Time out. Are you the son of God then? The leaders knew what he was saying. They knew he was claiming a unique, highly exalted position for God. So they asked, Are you the unique, exalted one who's able to sit next to God as his equal? See, for a Jew in the first century, when you would say, I'm the son of God, you were claiming deity. You were claiming you're God the son. That's what you're claiming. They knew what that meant. For some reason, people don't know what that means today. That's what it meant for them. They understood that very clearly. So we know that when Jesus claimed himself to be the Son of God, he was proclaiming himself to be deity, to be God of God in the flesh. He was God's equal. For them, here, that's blasphemy. That's blasphemy. And then Jesus answered. And he said to them, and I think in your New American Standard, if you have NAS, it says, yes, I am. I don't know why they did that. That was really weird. It should say, you say that I am. He knew they were not sincerely asking him, are you really the Son of God? They weren't asking like that. They were like, are you the Son of God? Again, they want him to incriminate himself. They want him to confess so they can condemn him. They already knew what he claimed himself to be. So that's why, and literally from the Greek, you say that I am. He was intentionally ambivalent. He gave them a mild affirmation, or one writer puts it like this, a grudging admission. In other words, it means you've said it. So he wasn't really denying it, but he wasn't really admitted it either. But they didn't care. Notice verse 71. And they said, What further need do we have of testimony? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Why should we proceed further? Didn't deny their accusation. Jesus did not deny their accusations. So from their perspective, it was enough to convict him. No need for testimony. He's going to die. Jesus chose to go to the cross by his own words. He'll bring his death. Though he would be condemned, his words were true. Were they not? The truth can be deadly, can it? Especially when it's not well received. They can take him to the Romans now. With the key charge being his claim to be a political figure who rivals Roman rule. And then for them, hey, we're off the hook. You know, he was the one who said it. You know, we're just telling you this. So which kind of judge do you prefer? This little Sanhedrin group thingy bobber? These religious leaders with their power of mocking soldiers and able to send someone to a higher authority so you can be killed? Or the one who will sit at God's right hand with total absolute power, which do you choose? Which would you want? Will you turn from your denying Him, mocking Him, from hating Him? Will you repent today and trust Jesus if you're not a follower of Him? Will you do that? Stop clowning around. 
get right, get real. When the heat is turned up, we may wilt if we're unprepared, like Peter. The world's rejection of Jesus is seen in their insulting hostility. And though the religious leaders judged and condemned Jesus, sending him to the Roman authorities, it will be he who will judge them. The righteous one who is equal to the Father, he will suffer. And those who decide to follow him, they will suffer too. But thanks be to God, he will vindicate those who follow his Son. Isn't that good? So a disciple denied him. Soldiers mocked him. Council hated him. All worthy of condemnation. But Jesus was going to the cross for people like them. Like us. But God, He's in the business of saving these kinds of people. Deniers, mockers, haters of His Son. He saves and He changes deniers to confessors of Jesus. From mockers to those who embrace Jesus. From haters to those who love Jesus. He loves doing that. So may we welcome and have open arms to people like this. Because God has been so gracious to have open arms to us. We are people like this. my study this past week I've been listening to a particular song Hallelujah All I Have Is Christ and due to the connection of the song to, to, to what Luke was showing us in this passage that we are ones who've denied him we are ones who've mocked him we are ones who've hated him what I, what I want us to do is to sing the first couple verses of this song together as a response and then we'll have our time of silence and then we'll do our, our time of giving and, and do our, our normal last two songs but I think this was an appropriate song for us to respond to hallelujah all I have is Christ and especially the, the words to, to the, the verses that those first two verses it just coincides perfectly with what we're looking at here in the passage in Luke chapter 22 so let's let's sing this together if we can. If you go on, there we go. I once was lost. 